Well, we're at that time of year when a lot of us make resolutions, and that includes gardeners as well. What plans do you have for your garden or your gardening habits in 2022? We are talking with Andrew Bunting. He is the Vice President of Public Gardens and Landscapes at the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, an internationally recognized organization that was uh, founded a long, long time ago. It's also the producer of the world-famous Philadelphia Flower Show, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And Andrew, uh, thanks for joining us here on the Garden Basics podcast. Now, we touched a little bit about uh, reducing the need to water. And, I, and of course, water-wise gardening, or the unfortunate term xeriscaping, is, is popular here in California. Or actually, it's, sure. it's, it's downright the law. Do you find that there is an interest back there that despite all the summer rain you get, that people want to try water-wise gardening? Yeah. We don't have the same drought situations that uh, a large parts of California have, but we do have periods of drought. You know, we might have, you know, a couple months where we we get hardly any water whatsoever. So I think there's for those who want to just reduce water in general, uh, that that type of gardening might be appealing. I think out here. It's actually more of a, an aesthetic. Like, you know, I love the kind of arid or kind of xeriscape gardens you see in, you know, Santa Barbara and Southern California. And, that, you know, so that type of aesthetic is one that you often don't see around here. So what's starting to gain in popularity, and I've seen it actually across, uh, I would say in the eastern part of the United States and you know, often where I look for trends is, what, you know, what are botanic gardens and arboreta doing? They're, they're often some of the trend-setting institutions. So, you know, there's some really good examples of of gravel gardens. So these are gardens that either just plant into the native soil and then chop, chop dress with gravel, or like at my house, I actually excavated out about six inches of soil and put in gravel and kind of grow plants right right into the gravel that, that grows through the gravel into the soil below. So one of the best gravel gardens, I think, in the entire United States is at a botanical garden called Old Brick Botanic Gardens in um, Madison, Wisconsin. And they have uh, multiple uh, gravel gardens kind of different, show, showing the public different ways in which they can use gravel aesthetically, as well as kind of the myriad of plants that you might grow in a gravel garden. And then out in this part of the country, there's some good public gardens like uh, Scott Arboretum at Swarthmore College uses uh, gravel in multiple locations. And then a fairly famous garden uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Chanticleer, has a fairly extensive gravel garden. So it's, um, it's, you know, I would say here it's almost more of a a style of gardening that's gaining in popularity because it also affords you the opportunity to maybe grow types of plants that perhaps you would see more in California, but we don't see that much in gardens here. Things like yuccas, hardy cactus, uh, other succulent plants. Um, you know, a lot of the succulent, some succulent plants in our native garden soils with a lot of uh, water in the summer and humidity actually uh, don't do that well. So they really need a sharper drainage. So 
uh, gravel gardening uh, affords kind of that type of uh, habitat so that you can grow those plants more successfully. Yeah, you would almost need to, uh, like you are doing yourself, at least six inches of gravel, if not more, just to keep the root zone above the area where the water may puddle below the gravel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, it, it obviously is a, can be a upfront a, a greater expense than kind of traditional gardening. But, you know, over time, it you know, you really cut down on, on the water because of the type of plants that you're growing. And then, you know, what I've found with growing plants in like pure gravel is once they once they've grown through and, and into the soil below that that top you know say four to five inches of gravel is so inhospitable that you can hardly get any any weed seeding into that top layer of gravel oh give it time <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> the weeds uh you know if, if somebody can figure out how to have a truly weed-free garden that that would be a major uh, yeah. trend <laughs> not gonna happen but uh, what are some of the popular succulents there that can overwinter in those gardens back there yeah so you know any of the, any of a number and probably most seed sedums uh hens and chicks which are semper vivums quite a bit of ca- uh, cactus they're actually hardy uh here not not like your uh, Mexican type cactus, but, uh, you know, a lot of cactus that are native in higher elevation parts of the U.S., like in Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, uh, those are, those are hardy here. Uh, quite a few cultivars and species uh, of, of yuccas, but it's not everything, um, not everything that goes into gravel garden has to be a succulent. Like what, once you establish things like, um, you know, some of the different species of Rudbeckia or actually a lot of the prairie plants, a lot of the grasses and cone flowers and things like that. One, because a lot of them have long tap roots to, to kind of survive in prairie type situations, which have, you know, a multitude of hostile conditions. Uh, once those established, they actually do quite well. Like, um, in my gravel garden at home, I have a plant called the, the threadleaf blue star Amsonia hubrichii that that does quite well. All the Baptistias, the false indigos, they have a fairly significant taproot and uh, also do uh, quite well. Now, what about the prickly pears? Oh yeah, prickly pear for sure. Yep, there's you know there's different species of prickly pear, but there's actually one that's native to uh, the East Coast hmm. and that does well. Okay, that that's Opuntia for those of you at home keeping score, and yeah. uh, out, out yeah. here that's a weed. Say, <laughs> so, you know, our cactus don't get to be the stature like you see in uh, California. They tend to be either uh, ground covering types or maybe just get a foot or two tall, but not like like you would see on the West Coast where they can be you know almost tree like. Andrew Bunting is with the Phil- the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. He is their vice president of public gardens and landscapes. And again, uh, more information online at phsonline.org. Andrew, thanks for uh, helping us get off to 2022 to a good gardening start. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, 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 gravel gardening. Does that apply to people in USDA Zone 9, people in the Southwest? Because gravel gardening is not rock 
gardening. That's an interesting, I'll say garden fad going on back east and Midwest, but how applicable is that to the warmer areas? Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor. And Debbie, basically on what we just heard, that's an interesting idea that they have going back there to be able to grow, say, drought tolerant plants in four to five inches of uh, small rock. And it, it, they kind of get churlish when you call it rock. They want to call it, <laughs> you know, garden pebbles or pea rock or, or something like that. Yes. Well, they certainly have some specifications for the rock to be used. Uh, they don't want it to be limestone because that will break down over time. And it should all be sized the same size. So mm. it's not just going to a quarry and digging up a bunch of rock and throwing it in your truck and throwing it over the garden. It's size. So everything is, from what I've been reading and hearing, between a quarter or or half inch in size yeah. and with smooth sides too with smooth sides yeah. right uh so it's a very specific yeah. type of rock and it could be very expensive it could be expensive especially to get started yeah four to five inches is quite a bit not to mention fun to move <laughs> yeah. yeah i have to say that when i have done house hunting in the past i shy away from homes that have gravel on part of the or all of the landscape because I know that I need to garden and I need to plant things and dig them up and move them and all that fun stuff. And um, with gravel as the mulch, that makes it more difficult. When you're growing in that environment here in California or in the Southwest, what are the precautions that you have to take if indeed you do have a rock garden? Heat, I would think, would be a problem. There are some plants that prefer a a mulch of rock or uh, gravel, but four to five inches is not uh, what, what I would consider a mulch for those plants. The goal of gardening for me in a hot, dry climate is to create shade and cooler places in the garden in the summertime. And gravel will not allow that because gravel reflects heat and light, uh, especially depending on the color. And for really, really hot climates like you would find in the Imperial Valley of California or parts of Arizona, New Mexico, even even parts of uh, Colorado, I would think that uh, there's even more precautions. My husband is from Tucson, Arizona, and Tucson has been very aggressive about reducing lands use of landscape water. What most landscapes have, and in some places you're required to by your CCNRs, is gravel as a mulch. It is not four to five inches deep. It's just an inch or two. Uh, and it does. Uh, it is not sized, like they're talking about in the, the more formal gravel gardens in the uh, Midwest and East. It is just uh, mined. You go, the landscape uh, mining company delivers it, and, and either you spread it or there people spread it as a mulch. And those tend not to be white. They're not really light colors that do lots of reflection. They are more of the tans and grays, which will do less reflection. And then the, the, the result of using that gravel as a mulch is that you don't have grass and you don't have plants that uh, survive in extremely high heat, of, which of course you're going to experience in the desert, but can be ameliorated with somewhat with uh, an organic mulch that will hold more moisture in the soil. So the landscaping then is very southwestern, uh, which is lots of uh, cactus and trees that are native to the southwest. 
In that segment that we heard with Andrew Bunting, he talked about uh, the gravel gardens in Madison, Wisconsin, and and he said it's, it's one of the premier locations, and he mentioned the Ulbrick Botanical Gardens. And if you go online, and we'll have a link to it in, in the newsletter to what they've done there as far as uh, putting in a, a pebble garden. Uh, the Ulbrick Garden is in Wisconsin, which means they get summer rain. They get summer rain. Something we don't get anywhere. They have humidity. They're near Great Lakes. Yes. And that makes a huge difference, I think, in the success of these gardens. Uh, I have to say that in in my Central Valley, California garden, which is very hot and dry, very hot and dry, uh, I use lots of organic mulch, but I have learned that there are some plants I cannot grow in that organic mulch because it holds too much moisture in the soil and potentially close to the, the stem. I try to keep it away from the stem, but I'm not in total control. And so some plants just don't do well in that environment. Other plants love it, and, and so I it limits my plant palate. On the other side of it, a gravel mulch that's four to five inches deep is going to limit your plant palate regardless of where you do it. But in places where there is summer rain and humidity, you'll have a broader plant palate that you can plant in that four to five inches of, of gravel. The link that we'll have with the um, newsletter refers to a PowerPoint that the director of the Ulbrick Botanical Garden did about their gravel gardens. And if you want to learn more about gravel gardening, you ought to listen to what he has to say, the plant palettes that can be used and the care that they take during the off season. And one thing that he pointed out was that the uh, staff there do a big job in the wintertime of removing dead organic matter and making sure that there is nothing for weed seeds to lodge in. Right. Regardless of what you mulch with, weed seeds are going to land yeah. on that mulch. And if there's any organic matter or any source of water, they will germinate and grow. And that's, to me, it's more difficult to get the organic matter out of a gravel than to just let it melt into the existing organic mulch that I use in my gardens. By the way, in that uh, PowerPoint, he talks first about meadow gardens and then, and it's it's a long PowerPoint, it's about over an hour. Start in the second half if you only want to hear about gravel gardens. Yeah, about the last 15 minutes, actually. Yeah, it's, you, it's quite near the end. Yeah, you can uh, see it and, and you, you learn a lot. Uh, there, he had a, a lot of interesting tips there and he said that when they bring in plants, one gallon plants from nurseries, one thing they do is they scrape off the top two inches of soil because that's where you're going to find most weed seeds. He's probably right. You're going to find most weed seeds in the top of, of a container soil, but I, it sort of makes me shiver to remove the top two inches. There are going to be roots there, potentially feeder roots there, mm -hmm. that, that you're going to expose and damage potentially, and they may die. In a harsh environment like uh, the Southwest or, or Central California in summer, that plant needs all the roots and moisture it can get. In a more forgiving environment like Madison, Wisconsin in summer, which has more mild temperatures than we do and has uh, summer rains and humidity, the plant may survive better. They are beautiful looking gardens back they there. Are. They and, are. You know, more power to them if they can do that. I just think that in USDA Zone 9, especially, it would be a struggle. Nine and higher, yeah. 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 If you want to try it, I'd say, well, try it in a small area mm -hmm. first. A small area that where you want. The plants that do well there are succulents, so plants mm -hmm. that s store water themselves, hens and chicks, sedums, uh, dudleyas, those kinds of things, and uh, alpines, plants that grow mm -hmm 
high an alpine plant is a plant that grows high up on a mountain potentially above the tree line uh, where there's not enough soil to support a tree and it's very you have scree up there and scree is uh, broken down rock so uh, those plants do very well in that area so if you want to try uh, a section and they're very interesting they can be very beautiful they very interesting flowers and they tend to be smaller plants so you can get a lot of them into a small space it would make a really cool garden to put somewhere that you get up close near an outdoor sitting area or something they also have a lot of ornamental grasses, which looked fabulous by year three. Yeah. Grasses. And you talked about prairie plants, which uh, grow in the Midwest, uh, and they have taproots. Generally, taproots don't, plants coming out of containers don't have taproots. But the plants we're talking about here are herbaceous plants and grasses, and so they can regrow their taproot, uh, the grasses for sure. If you see pictures of prairie plants, I wouldn't call call them so much taproots as they just have a very uh, extensive root system. So again, the differences between a rock garden and a gravel garden, we out here in California are familiar with rock gardens. Rock gardens are shallower, maybe one inch or two inches worth of river rock, really inch and a half river rock. And often accented with larger rocks. Right. And the gravel garden is just that. It is made out of pea gravel or in the case of what they did back in Wisconsin, seven sixteenths of an inch of quartzite. Mm -hmm. And it has to be not sharp in order for you to be able to walk on it or more for your pets to walk on it without injury or work it with your hands yeah or work it yeah and that's the other thing too that he pointed out is that when they are cleaning up those areas in, in the winter time everybody has knee pads mm -hmm. yes <laughs> knee pads are a good idea to get used to wearing when you're in the garden anyway uh i can i can attest to that having had to have one of my knees replaced uh, because I didn't always wear knee pads. But the other thing, another point he made was that you don't taper the gravel to the edge of the garden. You have some sort of edging and he shows you a whole bunch of different types of edging that are four to five inches tall. Mm. So the gravel remains consistently deep. That would be important. You need a, a barrier to keep it in place. Right. Too. So consider building sort of a little raised bed. Yes. For a, a, gravel. a gravel garden. Yeah. If you're going to try that. And again, it's going to be more expensive because you're using four to five inches worth. Yeah. And if you go out and price a ton of uh, pea gravel, um, you can borrow on your IRA, I guess, and, <laughs> and pay for it. But don't do that. And delivery. And, yeah. And then shoveling it. Yeah, and shoveling it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, rock gardens, gravel gardens, if you're going to try it, try it on a small scale first. Yeah. See how it goes and let us know. Debbie Flower, thanks so much for uh, rocking down with us. Yeah, here. very interesting stuff, Fred. Thank you. If you want to hear more of Andrew Bunting of the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society talking about 2022 gardening trends, give a listen to the latest Garden Basics podcast. It's episode 159 that was released on December the 31st.